In the aftermath of Bernie Sanders withdrawing from the presidential race, Democrats say they'll assess the situation just as soon as they finish counting the votes in Iowa. Sanders withdrew from the race for the good of the country after discovering he was a communist who would destroy the economy and rob people of their freedoms, which he said would not only be terrible, but also redundant since the Chinese flu has already accomplished that. Sanders said he would endorse Joe Biden while keeping his name on future ballots in order to acquire more delegates so he could squeeze that stupid ba- like a stress toy until he transformed the Democrat Party into a tyrannical agent of the far left, or as it's also known, the Democrat Party. After Sanders made the announcement, he bid an old-fashioned Soviet farewell to his campaign workers by shooting them in the back of the head. When informed of Sanders' withdrawal, Joe Biden said, quote, that's great, who'll run for president now? When informed he would be running for president, Biden said, quote, that's great, what will I be running for? When informed it was the office of the presidency, Biden said, quote, that's great, I just hope I can beat Bernie Sanders. Sanders told reporters he phoned Barack Obama before announcing his decision. He said he and Obama had a good conversation, during which Obama wept quietly and pleaded with him not to go. Afterward, Obama said he was trying to decide whether to endorse his former vice president or to drive a screwdriver repeatedly into his ear and then smash his forehead into a brick wall. He said he might also decide to endorse a potted plant or possibly a honeydew melon that had been sitting in his refrigerator for the last couple of weeks. The question now is whether Bernie supporters will back Biden or cause civil unrest at the convention or simply continue to smoke dope and pretend to have read Karl Marx. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. In 1950, a famous literary critic named Lionel Trilling wrote a book called The Liberal Imagination, and it included this often quoted paragraph. In the United States at this time, liberalism is not only the dominant, but even the sole intellectual tradition. The conservative impulse and the reactionary impulse do not, with some exceptions, express themselves in ideas, but only in actions or in irritable mental gestures which seek to resemble ideas. Whether or not that was true in the moment Trilling wrote it, it seems to me the opposite is true today. It's the leftist impulse that does not now express itself in ideas, but only in irritable mental gestures which seek to resemble ideas. The withdrawal from the presidential race of the irritable mental gesture that was Bernie Sanders underscores the point. Sanders was the 80-year-old representative of a 150-year-old idea that had failed so many times, even he had to pretend he was supporting something else, though I, for one, could never quite figure out what it was. This leaves the field to Joe Biden, who's always been an idiot and is now a senile idiot, and as such is a good symbolic representation of the left's intellectual position. On the right, meanwhile, a lively and fascinating conversation is taking place on how to go forward. On one side are the libertarians who seek to preserve a 50-year-old tradition of elevating freedom over shared values despite signs that that system is unable to prevent the triumph of destructive leftist immorality. On the other side are those who feel better values must be asserted politically, but who can't quite figure out how specifically to do that without turning us into a theocratic tyranny. Meanwhile, the ordinary folks who support Donald Trump seem to be organically creating some workable, but not yet expressible, that takes elements from both sides, nationalism, capitalism, and high respect for faith, mingled with social spending, melting pot anti-racism, and libertarian acceptance of difference. Can all those be blended into one big philosophy that includes both, say, evangelicals and gay libertarians? 
we will find out. This is a moment of pain and suffering and confusion because of a Chinese virus, but it's also a moment of promise. Ideas power the world just as much as money and guns. And with leftists fresh out of ideas, we have a startling opportunity to reinvent conservatism and with it, America for the 21st century. We need to watch and listen to the thinkers, not the noisemakers. They have been given a moment in which to create something truly remarkable. Let me uh, say once again, I know I said this before, but I got to say it once again, a big, big thank you to our sponsors, the guys who uh, hang with us during this really tough time. It's tough for all businesses. I know it's tough for you. If you can, please support our sponsors because they support us and they keep us on the air. And we are a business, too. So we're all trying to support one another. And we really, really appreciate our sponsors, including our sponsor, Wondery, who tell great stories, great podcasts. They've got one coming up uh, from Wondery called Business Wars, in which each city season digs into one of the greatest corporate rivalries of all time. Think about Facebook versus Snapchat or Nike versus Adidas. On each episode, you'll get an inside look at what inspired entrepreneurs do to take risks that drove their companies to new heights or into the ground. This is On Wondery. It's called Business Wars. At the end of today's show, after the credits, we'll be playing a brief clip from Business Wars. The season is called Starbucks versus Duncan. In it, they follow these two Java giants in a war that started brewing in the 1950s and is now hotter than ever. Coffee is a hundred billion dollar plus global industry, and that's just at my house. And with these two duking it out at the top, their battle is about a lot more than coffee. So stay tuned after the show and we'll play that for you. Also stay tuned tonight, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll be doing the All Access Live. This is for anybody who is a member of Daily Wire. I'll be talking to them. You can send in your questions. Uh, I'll answer them on the air live, and I will be here. It is always so good to talk to you. It really it is. We're doing this every weekday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's just a relaxed conversation between us and the members. It was set up to be for only the highest tier members, but we're giving it to everybody because we want to be with you in this time when we're all kind of isolated. So, I want to talk today about China and what they're doing, but first I think we should all pause for a little tribute we put together to remember Bernie Sanders and his campaign. It's funny, sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. But have some good things been done in Cuba? Yes. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. And everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world. All the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. When we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. All right, but who knows about cocaine? Anyone ever seen cocaine? Yes. 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 Senator Sanders, you are the oldest candidate on stage this and evening. And I'm white as well. <laughs> yes. I will be attacked by every editorial writer in the free press for being a dumb dupe. Uh, maybe I am. I have concluded that this battle for the Democratic nomination will not be successful. And so today, I am announcing the suspension of my campaign. What about cocaine? Good thing, bad thing, what? 
<laughs> We're going to miss him, but we don't have to miss him because he's moved the Democrat Party so far to the left. He'll be with us in spirit. And now we've got Joe Biden to deal with. And here is Trump discussing uh, Joe Biden and the fact Obama hasn't uh, hasn't endorsed him. This is cut six. I don't know why President Obama hasn't supported Joe Biden a long time ago. There's something he feels is wrong. Why isn't he'll come out? I'm sure he's got to come out at some point. Because he certainly doesn't want to see me for four more years. We're not, uh, we, we think a little bit differently. You know what? I'll tell you, it, it does amaze me that President Obama hasn't supported Sleepy Joe. It just hasn't happened. When's it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Why isn't it? He knows something that you don't know. That I think I know. But you don't know. Sleepy Joe Biden, who has no clue what the hell he's doing. I love, I love that. I think I know, but you don't know, which is the guy is no longer operational. And even when he is, he is now, you know, he said this when, uh, when Bernie pulled out. He said, well, Bernie and I may not agree on how we might get there. We agree on the ultimate goal for these issues and many more, talking about uh, universal health care and free college. So Biden is all in. Bernie is going to keep on himself on the ballot so he can acquire delegates, so he can squeeze uh, Biden, like I said, like a stress toy at the convention. This is not over. Biden is gone, but not gone, as we will see. So let's talk about, we have got to talk about China, because what is happening with China is unbelievable. It is a genuine uh, propaganda campaign that many of our biggest industries are now so hooked into or they're so indebted to China that they're participating in it. And it really is an amazing thing. China is a crushing authoritarian tyranny. There is no excuse for supporting it. There's some excuse for working with it in some instances, but only Trump. You know who talked about this? Sebastian Gorka. Everybody always says, oh, Sebastian Gorka is just a Trump partisan. He came on my show and said we shouldn't be talking about Russia. This is a long time ago now. We should be talking about China. It's all China. It's all about China. And only Trump gets us. And he was right. So the other day we were making jokes about it, uh, but it and hilarious jokes about it. Donald Trump started to say that he was looking into withholding the money that is most most of the support for the World Health Organization, okay? And this is run by a guy named Dr. Tedros. He has a long name. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. His name is Dr. Tedros. And Tedros has just been a vehicle of China. Here he is in an earlier interview discussing his loyalties. With your disregard for human life, you must be working for the East. East, West, just points of the compass, each as stupid as the other. I'm a member of Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, Extortion. The four great cornerstones of power, headed by the greatest brains in the world. Correction. Criminal brains. The successful criminal brain is always superior. (laughs) Okay, that was Dr. No, not Dr. Tedros, but you know what? You can't tell them apart. They're the same guy. Tedros is a Bond villain. He really is. Uh, Trump said he's going to withdraw money from the World Health Organization. Oh. <laughs> Tedros, who? Who is right? Who's who's the villain here? Who's the villain here? Tedros uh, responded with a threat. This is cut number one. Please don't politicize this virus. It exploits the differences you have at the national level. If you want to be exploited, and if you want to have many more body bags, then you do it. If you don't want many more body bags, 
then you refrain from politicizing it. That's a nice world you got here. Be a shame if anything happened to it. So Trump was asked about this at one at uh, the briefing yesterday. Uh, this is cut number five. When you say more body bags, I think we would have done uh, and he would have been much better serving the people that he's supposed to serve if they gave a correct analysis. I mean, everything was, I said, China centric. Everything was going to be fine. No human to human. Uh, keep the borders open. He wanted me to keep the borders open. I closed the borders despite him. And that was a hard decision to make at the time. We were all together. We made a decision against the World Health Organization. So when he says politicizing, he's politicizing. That shouldn't be. But look, we spend $450 billion, $452 billion, almost $500 billion last year, hundreds of billions in previous years. And uh, they got to do better than that. They got to do better. When you talk about uh, politics, I can't believe he's talking about politics when look at the relationship they have to China. So China spends 42 million. We spend 450 million and everything seems to be China's way. That's not right. It's not fair to us. And honestly, it's not fair to the world. How long has it taken somebody to say this? We are funding this. We are funding this to the order of, you know, these uh, millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars, 44 million from China, 400 million from us, right? 400 million from us, 44 million from China. And they are manipulating this guy. And this guy is a setup. He is their puppet. I just want to stop for just a second and play CBS covering this. I mean, this is the it's not just Trump hatred. It is not just Trump hatred. It is also China indebtedness. This is uh, CBS on their morning show, CBS This Morning, how they reported Trump's threat to withdraw funding. President Trump is threatening to pull U.S. funding from the World Health Organization. The WHO sent out multiple coronavirus alerts earlier this year, in fact, declaring it a global health emergency back in January. The president largely dismissed those warnings, saying also in January it's going to be just fine. That's a direct quote. Now, as Ben Tracy reports, Mr. Trump claims the WHO failed. They call it wrong. They really, they missed the call. The president is shifting blame for the spread of the coronavirus to the World Health Organization, saying it should have provided better warnings. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? January 14th, the World Health Organization tweeted preliminary preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human to human transmission of the coronavirus. That's what we were working with. That's the information that the United States government was working with. Are you kidding me? CBS is blaming this on Trump and clearing the World Health Organization when they in January 30th, when finally, finally, this clown Tedros, Dr. No, he finally uh, declared that this was a health emergency. Listen to what he said about Chinese. He said he said this is a health emergency, but it has nothing to do with the Chinese is cut to the Chinese government is to be congratulated for the extraordinary measures it has taken to contain the outbreak despite the severe social and economic impact those measures are having on the Chinese people. We would have seen many more cases outside China by now, and probably there's, if it were not for the government's efforts and the progress they have made to protect their own people and the people of the world. In many ways, 
China is actually setting a new standard for outbreak. What a clown. I mean, this guy, is, he's a puppet. He's a puppet. You know, there's a piece in, uh, in the Wall Street Journal today by Lan He Chen of the Hoover Institute. He says, Tedros was a controversial pick dogged by allegations of having covered up cholera outbreaks in his native Ethiopia, where he served as health minister from 2005 to 2012 and foreign minister from 2012 to 2016. During those years, China invested in Ethiopia and lent it billions of dollars. Shortly after winning his world WHO election, Mr. Tedros traveled to Beijing and lauded the country's healthcare system. We can all learn something from China. You know, You might stop for a minute and ask yourself, why is it, why is it organizations like the United Nations become evil? Why is China now on their Human Rights Commission when they don't have any human rights? Why is this guy, why are we paying $400 million to the World Health Organization and it's run by this guy who is clearly, I mean, obviously a Chinese puppet? Never mind CBS. Never mind CBS being a Chinese puppet. Why? Well, the reason, I think the reason is simple. The reason is, is that they, or international organizations are based on a lie. It's built into, it's cooked into the pie. The lie is that there is no moral difference between nations, that nations can all work together because they're all basically the same. You may look one way and we may look another way, but it's all good. We're all, all respect all cultures, all cultures are the same. It's just a lie. It is true that all people can be good people. It is true that no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter where you come from, you can be a good person, but you are a good person if you live by certain standards. And a lot of those standards have been set by the West. We're not the only people who have good standards. Other people have had good standards, but plenty of people have bad standards. And if you have a place where there are no standards, if you have an organization that by definition has to proclaim that there's nobody there, then, then the evil standards and the good standards are equal. They're going to be on an equal footing, right? Because nobody, there's nobody to say, no, you're the bad guy. We're the good guy. Nobody can say that and still be part of the world, uh, of, of a world organization. So why do the evil standards rise? You think, well, why, why is it that evil rises over good if there, if nobody sets any standards? You know, the old saying, if, in order for uh, evil to triumph, all the good people have to do is do nothing. Well, the reason is, is that the very definition of evil, the very definition of evil is doing anything you can for yourself, no matter what happens to other people. See, we have these systems in America, democracy, capitalism, that harness self-interest because we know people are going to be self-interested, right? They harness self-interest according to certain rules. But if you break those rules, you become evil. It's one thing to work for a profit. There's nothing wrong with that because, you know, the other guy is working for a profit. It's going to move both of you to excellence. But if in your thirst for profit, you start to break the rules, you start to lie to the public, you start to sell them things that are bad for them, cars that explode or medicine that kills them, then you've become evil, right? And so we have the rules. And if you don't respect those rules, the system collapses. How can you respect those rules if you do not have standards that people have to live up to? And China doesn't live up to those standards. And Iran doesn't live up to those standards. If they're not going to be bounced out of the organization, they will ultimately triumph. And that's what's happening with China and with the World Health Organization. Let's pause for just a second and we'll get back to this because there's a lot, a lot more to say. But first, let's talk about stamps.com because you know you're at home. You don't want to get in your car. You don't want to go to the post office. You don't want to wait online. But the post office has all those good services you love. You can get them right on your computer through stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do 
at stamps.com. You can print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. You don't want to be there right now. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Here at Daily Wire, we've used stamps.com since 2017, which is the way, way back in the distant past in America. No more wasting our time. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Claven. That's stamp.com. Enter Claven and send out a letter saying, how do you spell Claven? K-L-A-V-A-N, there are no there are no E's in Claven. I just make it look this easy. We got Franklin Graham coming on later in the program. But first, let's go back to what we were talking about. Uh, you know, Bill Barr, Laura Ingram had Bill Barr on yesterday. And he was talking about the fact that China is in an actual cold war against America. This is cut number 11. The Chinese are engaged in a full-court blitzkrieg uh, of stealing American technology, trying to influence our, our political system, uh, trying to uh, steal uh, secrets uh, at our research universities and so forth. Uh, and uh, we are focused like, uh, on it. We have something we call the China Initiative. We brought a lot of indictments, but it's something that we also have to expose by letting the business community understand exactly the nature of the threat. So, you know, here, here's here is something really interesting. Tell me tell me if anybody has um, has heard the story of this was from January 28th. So it's a while back now of the chair of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology department uh, being indicted. Now, I did hear this story and I didn't cover it at the time, but I don't think I I don't think I really grasped. Of course, uh, that was it was kind of before this was really ramped up. This flu story, this Chinese flu story was really ramped up. I don't think I really grasped how deep a story it was, how important a story it was. This is a press release from the Department of Justice, from Barr's Department of Justice. The Department of Justice announced today that the chair of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology department and two Chinese nationals have been charged in connection with aiding the People's Republic of China. The chair, that's the head of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology department. Okay, this is Dr. Charles Lieber. He is chair of the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Harvard University, was arrested and charged by criminal complaint with one count of making a materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statement. So what they did was they got him kind of like they got Al Capone, and this is all alleged, of course. I'm not saying he's guilty, but he is accused of this. They got him on a, a minor charge, but think think for a minute about what it's covering up. According to Card court documents since 2008 this is the indictment the announcement dr lieber who has served as the principal investigator of the lieber research group at harvard u which specialized in the area of nanoscience has received more than 15 million dollars in grant funding from the national institutes of health and department of defense right so that's our tax money being paid into this uh, program These grants require the disclosure of significant foreign financial conflicts of interest, including financial support from foreign governments or foreign entities. So this is how they got him. Unbeknownst to Harvard University, beginning in 2011, Lieber became a strategic scientist at where? Wuhan University of Technology, or as we call it, what? 
Yep. <laughs> Wuhan, he was working at the Wuhan University of Technology in China and was a contractual participant in China's Thousand Talents Plan from about 2012 to 2017. China's Thousand Talents Plan is one of the most prominent Chinese talent recruit plans that are designed to attract, recruit, and cultivate high-level scientific talent in furtherance of China's scientific development, economic prosperity, and national security. These talent programs seek to lure Chinese overseas talent and foreign experts to bring their knowledge and experience to China and reward individuals for stealing proprietary information. That's, you know, so what, or as we call it, what? Because I can't believe this. What paid Lieber $50,000 per month living expenses or up to 1 million Chinese yuan, 158,000, and awarded him more than 1.5 million to establish a research lab in Wuhan. And in return, Lieber was obligated to work for what? Not less than nine months a year by declaring international cooperation projects, cultivating young teachers and PhD students, organizing international conference. I mean, this is real spying stuff. This is real Cold War, James Bond, Dr. No stuff. You know, one of the things I loved about that clip from Dr. No, that's the first James Bond movie ever uh, with Sean Connery as uh, Bond. And one of the things I loved about it is Bond says, you know, with your disregard for human life, you must represent the East, right? Now, you couldn't say that in a movie today. You couldn't say it in a movie because you'd be accused of being bigoted. And why would you be bigoted? Because it would be saying there are different ways of regarding the world in different places, and some of those ways are bad, and some of those are good. We have been taught that that is, cannot be true, that cannot be so. You know, uh, sure, it's painting with a broad brush to say the East, but it's a spy movie, who cares? But, but still, but still, the fact that he could say that when that movie was made indicates where we have gone wrong. What is, what is this oppressive, oppressive movement of postmodernism, which is a Marxist movement? Marx, it, you know, it comes directly out of Karl Marx. It comes directly out of the Marxist ideas of false consciousness, that your, your conscience is really uh, a trick that has been implanted by powerful forces in your society. It's not really your conscience. It's just a story that was told to your conscience by rich people to keep you in place. You know, all of that, all of that, because it's untrue, because it's not so, has been replaced by forcing you not to say certain things. I mean, we're not even, it, they, you remember when they were saying we shouldn't call this the Chinese virus, we shouldn't call it the Wuhan flu, we shouldn't call it, they're not doing that anymore. They're calling it the coronavirus or COVID. Nobody is calling it the Chinese flu, except for me, because I'm a horrible, horrible human being. But nobody's saying it. They won. They win these fights every single time because they play into uh, residual Christian ideas that we should be good to people. We should love our neighbors. You know, they play into those ideas, but they're not working for those ideas. They're working against them. When you get rid of moral considerations, the evil triumph. When you get rid of moral degrees and moral tiers and moral hierarchies, evil triumphs, because that's what evil is. As Dr. No said, the criminal minds are the superior minds, not because they're actually smarter, but because they haven't got the brakes on them that good people have. Good people will not do something for profit because they know it's wrong. 
right? That makes it easier to make a profit if you just don't follow that rule. That's why we have laws. That's why we arrest people who break those rules. But this has been a genuine movement. Does anybody remember Hong Kong? Does anybody remember the freedom fighters in Hong Kong? Does anybody remember when uh, the, the when Hollywood uh, cut Taiwan off of um, the jacket that Maverick wore? Remember he wore a jacket. Uh, he wears his fame Tom Cruise wears his famous leather jacket and it had a patch on it from the Far East Cruise 63-4 U.S. Galveston commemorating a real-life U.S. battleships tour of Japan, Taiwan, and the Western Pacific. And the patch had a U.S., U.N., Japan, and Taiwanese flag. And of course, the Chinese don't like the Taiwanese because they're free and they are a slap in the face. Free people are always a slap in the face and a shame uh, to uh, tyrants. And so the Chinese hate the Taiwan because Taiwan says we're China, we're free China, we are maintaining the freedoms that China once had and the uh, communist Chinese are trying to always, always run them down. Hollywood, Hollywood, these same guys, <laughs> I mean, these same guys who stand up at the Oscars every day and tell you you're an idiot because you voted for Donald Trump, cut that tag off Tom Cruise's jacket. That's all American movie. Top Gun is being remade with a pro-Chinese bias, right? Does anybody remember the NBA? Does anybody remember uh, when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Maury, the Houston Rockets GM, Daryl Maury, uh, tweeted out and then deleted the tweet. He said, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And that created a strain on the NBA's relationship with the East, uh, with, with China. And that that was going to cost them $400 million. That could cost them $400 million in business. And this is the thing. This is the thing. We are so tied up with them. Until Donald Trump started singing this song, until he started hitting that China bell again and again and again, everybody was tied up with this. Do we have Barr talking about this uh, with Laura Ingram again on Cut 12? It's not just universities. I mean, universities are part of the problem. Uh, but a lot of American businesses, just for short-term profit or what they see as a short-term profit, they know over the long run it's not going to be long-term benefit to their business. But just for short-term gain, uh, they are uh, perhaps uh, not doing what is necessary in the long-term interests of the United States. So, you know, that's, that's what we have to remember. When CBS plugs China... You know, they had this story, this absolutely bogus story in the New York Times that Trump was touting this malaria medicine for COVID for the Chinese flu because he had some investment in it, which was nonsense because the, the medicine isn't even patented anymore. There's no big profits to be made in it. And he had some mutual fund. He had a couple of bucks in some mutual fund. It was utterly ridiculous. Who's investigating whether CBS has ties to China? Who's investigating which Hollywood movie has ties to China? Which sports franchise, the NBA and the NFL, have both kowtowed to China? This is a real thing, and there's only one guy, there's only one guy who broke this glass and rang this bell, and that is the evil orange man bad, Donald Trump. All right, let us talk for a minute. We, like I said, we got Franklin Graham coming up in just a sec, but first let's talk about LifeLock, because, you know, you're sitting there at home. I know you're looking at terrible things on your computer. You're ordering terrible things. You want to have security. And also, you just don't want somebody to steal your identity. You know, it seems like some far off thing, but these clowns are really doing this. And once they do it, your life is a mess. And even people who are generally prepared for things like earthquakes and disasters and toilet paper shortages are often unprepared when it comes to protecting their identity. With your breached information like your name, social security number, and more, criminals can commit identity theft and LifeLock 
sees more threats, like someone taking out a payday loan in your name and alerts you to possible suspicious activity. I have it. They've done it for me. I've gotten uh, things that I've gone and checked on. It's really been useful. If you end up having an identity theft issue, you'll have a dedicated identity restoration specialist just a phone call away. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with breaches on the rise, it makes sense to be prepared. Join LifeLock today and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Clavin. That's LifeLock.com slash Clavin to save 25% if and only if you can spell Clavin. There are no it's, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. Come on over to Daily Wire and subscribe. Uh, you want to be there tonight at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time for the All Access Live. And we'll be talking to you. I love talking to you. So please come on. Come on by. Like I said, Franklin Graham coming right up. Franklin Graham is the president and CEO of Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangel- Evangelistic Association. Reverend Graham, thank you for so much for coming on. I'm a big supporter of Samaritan's Purse. I send you as much money as I possibly can, and I think you're doing great work. It's good to see you. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you today. Can you tell us uh, what you guys are doing during this crisis, uh, what, what Samaritan's Purse specifically has been doing to deal with this? Uh, we've got uh, two mobile hospitals right now deployed, one uh, to Cremona in uh, Italy, uh, outside of Milan, and then, of course, the others in uh, New York City uh, in Central Park, uh, right across the uh, street or the Fifth Avenue from Mount Sinai Hospital. Uh, we're working in New York with Mount Sinai. When I say working with them, we're working under their license. Uh, we, we manage uh, the hospital, our field hospital ourselves. It's not managed by Mount Sinai. We do this ourselves. We're also moving now into a new facility inside Mount Sinai where, where there's 53 beds. They've kind of put this up in, a, in an atrium or a, a lobby area and uh, built out 53 beds. And so we'll be taking the management of those 53 beds as well as the ones that we have across the street in our 68-bed field hospital. So we've got more staff coming in today uh, from across the country. These are doctors and nurses who will be manning these extra beds. Um, we don't know, you know, this virus is changing, you know, the numbers is changing every day. So we don't know, uh, you know, some people say it's coming down, which is uh, good. I, I hope so. Um, we we just, we're there getting ready for for the worst. And uh, Mount Sinai has been a great partner. We've uh, really appreciated their help and, and working with them. Uh, we also have just sent a plane this week up to Alaska. Uh, Alaska has a different problem. You have hundreds of villages that are isolated. They're not on a road system. The only way you can get into these villages is by air or by, uh, this time of year, by snow machine. But uh, they've already got the virus in one of their key villages called Bethel. And uh, they're afraid that this could go into the other native villages. And back 100 years ago when they, uh, when they had measles, and also they had the, the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, it actually wiped out entire villages, uh, killed everybody. Uh, the, the native population just did not have the immunes, uh, the immunity to uh, uh, diseases that came in from the European population. So Alaska is very concerned. The native villages are very concerned about this. So we have sent uh, uh, masks, we've sent hospital beds, we've sent uh, other uh, protective equipment uh, to Alaska. And we'll be taking probably a hospital up there as well uh, in probably about two weeks. 
Uh, so that's uh, we're just planning for again, planning for the worst, trying to help the state uh, there in Alaska. Uh, we we can only do so much, and we're we're not a, a large organization, so we're we're getting stretched uh, pretty thin between Italy, New York, and Alaska. But um, right so far, God has given us uh, the 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 wherewithal, uh, the staff, and the finances to to do this. You know, uh, we hear we, it's very hard to get good information right now, and there's a lot of stuff on social media. Things are not so bad, and hospitals are really empty, and they're just pretending to be overwhelmed. You've been on the front lines. You've been to these places. How does it look to you? Well, um, there, there may be some hospitals in some parts of the country that might might be empty, but uh, not in New York City. And uh, this is uh, this is really a hot zone. Uh, they they have a real problem on their hands in New York. And I, I think that the, the president and uh, the administration has done an incredible job uh, mobilizing the federal government for this crisis. I, it's, uh, I've, I've never have seen in my lifetime, first of all, a pandemic. Uh, this is the first pandemic that I've gone through. But secondly, I've ne- I don't think I've ever seen an administration that has, has been able to mobilize the assets of the U.S. government this quickly. And uh, so... Um, I, I, I appreciate what the president has done and I certainly congratulate him on a job well done, but there's a lot more to do. You know, uh, now in, in America, there's nothing that can be uncontroversial. And you were attacked uh, by some people on social media uh, because of your stance against gay marriage. Can you explain to non-Christians how it is that you can oppose gay marriage and yet treat all people who come to you in exactly the same way? What is that not? A, is that a contradiction in terms or is it not? First of all, I'm not anti-gay. I mean, uh, uh, God made us and created us and uh uh, the Bible says all of us are, are sinners. Uh, that includes Franklin Graham. And we're all guilty of uh, breaking God's laws and, and his standards. Um, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, and of course, um, I, unfortunately, there are many people who get upset because you believe the Bible and trust the, the Bible to be the word of God. Uh, I'm not going to change my position. Uh, this is what God says. But for gay people out there, I'm not anti-gay. I'm not coming out there to 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 attack you. I I just disagree. I believe your position is uh, goes against the word of God. But if a gay person came into our hospital, uh, we're going to treat them just exactly the same as we would anybody else. We don't discriminate. Uh, we we help people of all faiths. Uh, but as a Christian, I'm not going to compromise my faith and my position uh, to accommodate somebody else. I'm going to love them. I'm going to help them. We'll do what we can to save their life, but uh, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe the Bible uh, cover to cover. I, I don't understand it all, but I can promise you I believe it all. And so the God, the Bible is very clear as it relates to to marriage is between a man and a woman, and it's not between two men or two women. It's a man and a woman. So that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what I believe. But I'm going to go forward, and I will help everybody who is sick. If they, if a gay person comes to us and is sick, we're going to do everything we can to save their life. Is there a problem communicating these ideas to the press? It seems to me. I mean, I'm I'm a became a Christian late in life, but it, and it seems to me that the press is openly hostile uh, to Christian ideas and Christian beliefs. Is there a, a way of speaking that would help communicate these ideas, or are you just going to be under fire no matter what? Well, I think for many in the media, they, they, they will not be happy until we accept 
uh, the gay uh, lesbian position, and I'm not going to accept it. Uh, but that's just the way it is. Uh, I'm sure I'll continue to be attacked. Uh, we were attacked today again. Uh, but that's all right. Uh, we, we were going to move forward, and yet we're not changing who we are. We are evangelical Christians, and I believe the Bible to be the Word of God. I believe Jesus Christ is God's Son. I believe that He died on a cross for the sins of mankind, and that includes Franklin Graham, and that He was buried for my sins, and on the third day God raised Him to life. That We're coming to Easter. This is what this is. We celebrate that we, we put our faith and trust in a risen Savior. He's not dead. He's alive. And if we repent, and repentance is to turn from our sins and by faith believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we will be saved. We can have that assurance this Easter that our sins are forgiven. Uh, but the only way that can take place is for us to turn from those sins and by faith believe on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So this is who we are. This is what I believe. The team that's with me in New York and, and Italy and that will be going to Alaska, they believe exactly the same thing. And we, we will help everybody, but we're not going to change who we are. It's been, you know, obviously you're the, uh, the son of Billy Graham, one of the great evangelists. And I, it seems that since his time, things have changed so much in America. And certainly it has become a more secular uh, country, it seems to me. It seems to me that just by the numbers, it is more hostile to Christianity. Do you foresee any chance of a revival at this point? Uh, is that something you can see in the future or you're just thinking we're going into the storm? <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, I do pray that the, this coronavirus will, will turn the hearts of many in this country uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's What's interesting, you know, churches um, have been forbidden uh, to meet, and that's that's to me is a, a very um, concerning and interesting phenomenon that has taken place with this coronavirus. The churches have shut down. Walmart's wide open. Uh uh, the Home Home Depot and Lowe's, they're wide open, uh, but the churches are closed. And that is, uh, to me, if, you, if you're open to make money, it's okay, but if you're open to, to, um, to worship God, we have to close you down. And matter of fact, you can get fined for doing that. But in, uh, instead of this, uh, the church going backwards, I've talked to pastors uh, like Rick Warren, Greg Laurie, people like this who, they say that uh, the numbers of people that used to watch them online, they would give me those numbers, and now it's three, four, five hundred percent more people are watching and coming to church online than they were in the pews. And so, and I've talked to pastors of small churches that that are country churches. They put their service online, and they're having double or triple the people that are uh, watching than they normally would have in their pews. So, I mean, God's work is still going forward uh, in all of this, and. People, and so it's my heart, my prayer that people will turn to, to the Lord Jesus Christ in these days of the coronavirus, and, and we might see a great awakening. We could see a revival. I don't know, uh, but uh, whatever is taking place uh, uh, spiritually in the country today, I think uh, God's at work, and there's a movement taking place that the, the world and the media just hasn't seen yet, and uh, they don't understand it. Ah, well, that's great. I hope you're right. Reverend Graham, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for what you're doing. I hope you have a, a wonderful Easter, you and your family. Well, same to you, sir. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, a final reflection. It is uh, Passover uh, today. It just started last night. And uh, this is, I, I was kidding around online that uh, 
the Jews are huddled indoors with the threat of death outside. Whoever heard of such a thing? But of course, that was the first Passover, uh, exactly what it was like. Uh, This is a night when uh, Jews ask four questions, beginning with why is this night different from all other nights? Uh, And um, and I and almost all of the answers to the four questions involve the fact that the Jews were slaves in Egypt and now they're free and they celebrate uh, that freedom. I very much believe that God uh, used the Jews as a doorway back into the world after the fall of man, uh, that uh, Jesus opened that door to everyone. And I think we owe the Jews, uh, as, a, as someone who is both a Jew and a Christian, uh, we owe the Jews only thanks and brotherly love for what they've done and the role they have played in God's uh, plan, which is going on. And I wish everybody uh, who is celebrating a happy P- Passover. That is it for me today. It is the Clavenless weekend. For those of you who have not been wise enough to subscribe, uh, but for those of you who do subscribe, I'll be on again with All Access Live at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. The rest of you, nothing I can do for you. But survivors gather here on Monday. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I am Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. It's 1950 in Quincy, Massachusetts. At 6 a.m. on a cool September morning, a big, genial man named Bill Rosenberg opens his store's glass door. He calls a place Open Kettle. It's the first donut and coffee shop ever to provide seats for its customers. A group of men wait outside, eager for their morning java. Some are factory workers. Others are salesmen and businessmen. The first to hurry in wears heavy pants and a work shirt. Morning, Bill. Hey, Marty, ready for the usual? You bet. Coffee with two sugars and two glazed donuts. Gotta have it to start my day. Rosenberg turns to two men who sport suits, ties, and hats. Morning, guys. Hey, Bill, know what? Your coffee smells so good it wakes me up before I've had a sip. The men sit at the low curved counter on leather-topped stools. Rosenberg goes behind the counter. He smiles as he fills their cups with the drink they crave. As soon as their cups are empty... He fills them up again. Above the pot, a wall sign reads, Ours is the best coffee in the world. Every morning, his shop fills up like this, and it never fails to make him smile. He heads into the kitchen. He loves watching the donut dough cook in the fryer's bubbling oil. When they turn golden brown, cooks whisk them from the fryer with giant spoons. He savors the donut's rich, yeasty fragrance as they cool on metal racks. Beside the racks, deep bowls are filled with frosting in vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and maple flavors. 
Rosenberg grabs a tablespoon and digs out a taste of strawberry icing, his favorite. Dozens of donuts are iced. Others are dipped in powdered sugar and shot full of cream. Many are stuffed with jelly and succulent flavors. Lemon, blueberry, pineapple, apple spice. Rosenberg picks up a jelly donut. As he bites into it, a big magenta blob squirts onto his shirt. He laughs, wipes it off, and licks it from his finger. There's just one thing about his store that he doesn't like. He calls his staff together. We're doing great, but I hate the name of the store. You're the one who named it Open Kettle. True, true, I'll take the blame. But we need another name. Throw out anything that comes to mind. How about Mr. Donut? Our best donuts. Maybe, maybe, I feel like we could do better. I got it. What do you do with a donut and coffee? You dunk the donut. That's it. Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, it's got a nice ring to it. But coffee is Rosenberg's true love. To prove it, the big news sign outside his store reads, Dunkin' Donuts, the world's finest coffee. Like every dedicated coffee purveyor who will follow him, Bill Rosenberg is passionate about brewing the perfect cup. An eighth grade dropout, Rosenberg would teach the average Joe to take their cup of Joe more seriously in America. Decades in the future, that passion will take his company where he never imagined it would go, head-to-head with a cross-country rival that becomes a global juggernaut. Starbucks Coffee, Tea, and Spice opens in 1971 in a small store in Seattle's historic Pike Place Market. The store is designed to look slightly nautical. A long wall with wooden shelves displays 30 different kinds of coffee. They sell only coffee beans and the best home coffee machines. But they sometimes offer samples, served in porcelain cups that make the coffee taste even better. Seattle is in an economic downturn, but Starbucks catches on. It's a hit with Seattle citizens who love the idea of savoring their coffee at home, especially on those gloomy days in winter. And Starbucks is the only place in Seattle that offers quality coffee. It catches the attention of a young 28-year-old. From the moment he encounters Starbucks, he and the entire business will never be the same. His name is... That was just a preview of the first episode of Starbucks vs. Duncan on Business Wars. Subscribe to hear the rest on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.